Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundance Success Series. Our spotlight is on voters' rights, a timely topic in the news right now. My guest is Latasha Brown, an award-winning organizer, philanthropist, consultant, and political strategist, as well as a jazz singer. She is the co-founder of Black Voters Matter. No matter how you believe, whether you're libertarian, Republican, Democrat, progressive, we all should have, as Americans, the right to vote and exercise that right. And we talk about that in this awesome interview coming up right now. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, We are uh, wanting you to come on. You're following Bev Smith. We've just got finished talking about her uh, being in this civil rights movement and the voting rights bill. And I thought, well, who better than to follow Bev Smith, the legendary Bev Smith, to talk about uh, Black Voters <laughs> Matter? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we uh, are in a pickle in not only Georgia, but probably other places. And um, I wanted you to introduce yourself to our audience and uh, talk a bit about uh, what your vision was for not only the Black Voters Matter movement, but voting rights in general. Yes, so, you know, I am a native of Selma, Alabama. Matter of fact, I'm in Selma today. I've been here all weekend because what people may or may not know is this weekend marks the 56th anniversary of Bloody Sunday, um, which was catalytic in the voting rights movement that ultimately led to the voting rights, the passage of the Voting Rights Act. That's when we saw the images of of black marchers and civil rights um, marchers and leaders in this and this city marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and they were viciously beaten and attacked by um, state troopers, which, you know, that, that we all know the history um, of how that led to a second march that Dr. King led that ultimately went from Selma to Montgomery leading to the, to the Voting Rights Act. And so here we are on the eve of the 56th anniversary of our commemoration of the passage of the Voting Rights Act, the Voting Rights Movement, and here we are at the same evening fighting a slew of voter suppression bills all across the country. That we there there were bills that were just passed, a bill that was just passed in Georgia on yesterday uh, that severely restricts absentee ballot voting. Was the irony around it is that the extension of absentee ballot voting. Um, was the Republicans. The Republicans actually mm-hmm. to, to give some of the pressure off um, uh, for, from election day voting, they created this, they extended absentee ballot voting. You know, I, ironically, I guess because of black, you know, African-American voters um, actually was one of the constituency groups that used that tool this year, that as a result, what they've done is now they're saying, oh, we no longer need it. So it seems like the rules change depending on who it benefits. Um, in addition to that, you know, I think that what we're experiencing right now, we just got to call it what it is. We can fix it up, but there is an all-out assault and attack on voters, on democracy in this country, but particularly a they, they're laser focused on black voters. And what we saw this last election cycle is that we saw the most historic turnout of black voters um, in the state. And that wasn't in spite of voter suppression. I mean, that was in spite of voter suppression. It wasn't that voter suppression wasn't happening. And so each time they create these barriers and we overcome those barriers, they create other barriers. And so 
We're going to be relentless, but yes, we are still in this fight for voter rights. Yes, um, John Lewis was my mentor, and so was John Conyers uh, when I was at Howard University. And um, I do have people in Alabama. Uh, uh, my father, he is from Chilton County, Verbena. Oh, really? Yes, indeed. In fact, I talked to you today from Montgomery because I was at some of the festivities. Although subdued this year, uh, we still remember John Lewis. And uh, we are looking at, and I'm looking at, what's going on now. And especially since Alabama's right next door to Georgia, um, we do have Sherry Sewell in office. But we do need to get another seat. And I believe Richard Shelby is uh, um, retiring, I believe. Uh, he is retired. Yeah. No, no, no. He is retired. He's announced his retirement, and he's actually a U.S. senator. He's one of yes. our two senators from from the state, and so he is retiring. So, 2022, that's an opportunity. We've never had a uh, a black um, U.S. senator from the state of of Alabama, and we've never right. had a woman. Matter of fact, Representative Terry Sewell is the first one, first African American woman um, to actually serve in the state. And what many people, because we are a a nationwide show, actually international, um, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I am used to seeing mayors and this and that. So to come to an historic place like Alabama, it would be great to see a a senator, uh, another Senate seat, and maybe a couple other uh, House of Representatives seats rather than just that one district. What do you think it's going to take to get there, though? I think we have shown, um, you know, one of the things that I would say that part of the voter suppression that we're seeing right now is a result that people are really waking up. This is in reaction to people are tired. And what we're seeing is that communities that have been marginalized, that have been left out, that are now organizing themselves to actually exercise their civil rights. And so part of what we're seeing this response to restrict is because those who don't have the good intentions um, or believe in democracy but know that the only way that they can win is that they have to cheat because they have shown that they're not interested in really trying to even appeal to um, on the black community or even appeal to voters who have a broader interest than just white, wealthy um, people. And so at the end of the day, what we're seeing is we're seeing what we saw in Georgia, I mean, in Georgia this last election cycle. You know, the runoff, I don't know if the, the audience really understands that in the state of, in most of the southern states, you know, um, there was this, this runoff system that was adopted that was specifically designed to ha- give black voters a disadvantage. That right. in the runoff system that if the, 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 the top go, the top, uh, candidate did not get 51%, it would force the top two candidates, um, in a runoff. And so in that runoff, what we normally see is a severe drop off. Less than 20% of the black population will come back out to vote. I mean, it's a hurdle in itself. One, and, you know, in light of all it takes to vote, in, in light of all of the different other voter suppression pieces that happen, they're hoping that, you know, they have been hoping and, and banking on that all of those things will actually deter people from coming out to vote again, that not having the information, not even knowing that was another election, because it is a, health, uh, a heavy lift. And so this uh, runoff was designed, I mean, it's actually documented, um, where the, leg- the white legislature who 
put this forth, this system forth said that this is a way to actually impact the Negro vote, right? And so he has been right up until a certain point until we kind of organized that we've organized ourselves and organizations are doing the ground the groundwork and what we show what we show the world in this fall and and in January of this year. Um ironically that is in the runoff where you normally will see a severe drop off, we did the opposite. Not only did we come out in high numbers, but there were more black voters that voted in the runoff than voted in the general election because we were relentless around we're not going to go backwards and we're not going to let our voices or our vote be marginalized. You know, the challenge is that it is a heavy lift, which means that there were many organizations had to do a lot of work. We had to touch a lot of people. We had to literally do work against all of these factors that we're working against. Those of us on the ground had to organize to get the information out to get people, you know, and quite frankly, what I think is they went too far, that when we would talk to folks and they knew what was happening, they were that more determined to get to the polls to vote. And so part of what I think uh, racists have always done in this country is that they have not, you know, while there's always black progress, there's always a, a white backlash, they severely underestimate how we will respond to that just like they did in this country. We came out in record numbers because we understood what was at stake, that black voters, in fact, are sophisticated voters in the sense that we understand racism, we understand voter suppression, and we understand our power, and that whenever we're getting the information to our communities, our communities will respond. And whenever we've organized ourselves and we, and we respond, you know, as a collective ex uh, community, we always say when we work together, we win. We have seen that. We saw the evidence in, in Georgia. We saw the evidence in Alabama in 2017, if people recall, the U.S. Special Senate race that was impossible, quote, to some political pundits to even consider that that could be a win. And that and it actually flipped that seat, which was largely propelled by the, the overperformance of black voters led by black women. That's right. That's right. And we're celebrating uh, Women's History Month, and people don't realize many black women uh, in the churches, in the communities, um, and they've had, had a major part in the civil rights movement and the right to vote. And um, when you're talking about voters' rights, this is uh, the 56th anniversary of people marching from Selma to Montgomery. But people don't realize there were three attempts to mar march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. There were three. Two did that's, not that's get right. across. They they knelt and they prayed to get. One was the first one was really just Bloody Sunday, literally. And the, the second one, they knelt and prayed. The third, they were able to cross. And that was finally uh, the marchers getting to Montgomery around the 25th of March. And so we need to... Um, not only reinforce the history, but let people know the importance of voting and keep that in the forefront. What are some of the goals for the next couple years and then the next three years? Because we have um, a, an ample opportunity to increase in 2022, and prayerfully that will help us in 2024. You know, absolutely. I think that part of what we have to do is we have to change, we have to change the frame of how we're talking about politics in this country and how we're approaching it. You know, we kind of work and deal with politics as if it's some kind of 
um, like it's a football game. Like, are yeah. you on the red team or are you losing? <laughs> right? right. You know, are you with the Bs or are you with the Rs? The truth of the matter is, what we're facing right now, I am, like, I am appalled that I, if, how could you be a legislator in this country? How can you be anyone that in, says that you actually believe fundamentally of the, the, the principles and the value of democracy? That just as a principle, of uh, you believe in democracy, that you would actually think that is acceptable or even participate to be consistent around this voter suppression. That in itself says that you really don't have any real value around democracy. You don't believe what the Constitution says, and you don't believe in protecting or respecting people's constitutional rights. And so what I think we have to do is instead of just constantly being like who has the hot potato, the hot potato contest, that we have to do a couple of things. The first thing that I think we have to do immediately, even as we as we were talking about in the next three years, I'll just say in the short term, in the short term we have to push for the immediate adoption um, and restoration of the Voting Rights Bill. There is the John Lewis um, Voting Advancement Act that is currently, that has been sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk uh, for over a year, that currently I think we have an opportunity right now that we have to push both the Republican and the Democratic senators, you know, to be able to pass that. One of the hold up, what we've got HB1 that actually passed for the People Act um, and the George Floyd Act that both came out of the House, you know, that uh, out of the, the House, of the, the Congressional House, but what now is before the Senate. What we know is in order, you would have to have 60 senators to pass that. The Republicans have just been, they have just been um, everything to stand against voting rights. That's who they've been. And so I don't expect them to change or have a change of heart in the next 30, 60 days, maybe even the next year or so, right, or ever. But what I do know is that the we, those of us, who did work this last election cycle, that not only did black voters put in office um, President Biden, but we also delivered the state of Georgia and black, led by black voters, we delivered the best possible circumstances for him to govern by providing and giving him a Senate that was a Democratic Senate. And so what we expect is that the Senate will actually use the power that we entrusted them with. What we are now facing, though, is in order for us to get the kind of sweeping legislation that we need, want to protect the vote and other things that we need, we're going to have to end the filibuster. And so there are a couple of things that I think we need to be mindful about in the short term. Number one, I think we have to track these bills around voter suppression, we all have to call our senators, whether they're Democrat or Republican, and say under no circumstances are we supporting anything that unravels um, or dismantles democracy. And so we have to be diligent around that. Secondly, I think, on, on particularly on our state level and watching that, I think secondly, we've got to put pressure on the Senate, on the Democrats, in, the, in Congress, that we expect to have sweeping change. You know, I was um, happy that on on Sunday, you know, on the commemoration of Bloody Sunday, that President Biden passed an executive order that would expand that or the executive order that would actually expand some of the provisions around voting rights, that would expand access to voting rights. But you as I know that an executive order, while I think that's a great first start and I'm and I think that that's needed in this moment, that that can all go away with a strike of a pen. Just as right. it did with the administration before him. And so mm-hmm. we have to really stop operating like black people, like giving voting rights to black folks that we're doing black people a favor. 
<laughs> like in some way, like providing, you know, uh, we're giving them some kind of dangling trinket, that trinket that should be um, negotiated every other year or negotiated is contingent upon what political party is in power. No, the fundamental of democracy, you know, is the Constitution. You know, what we have to really kind of recognize is that we need something even the 1965 Voting Rights Act, while it was profound and sweeping at its time and far, far ahead of its time, right, that even that act itself did not go far enough, that that was still a compromise. And so we've got to take this serious, that we have witnessed as a nation the fragility of democracy. We have witnessed that there are those who have been entrusted um, as public officials, but have shown that we cannot trust them because they're more interested in preserving their own power than actually upholding the values of the Constitution of making sure that there is a participatory democratic process that is free and fair for all. You know, secondly, I think, I mean, third thing is I think we have to also recognize that based on what the behavior has been recently, you know, um, after the Trump administration, part of the one thing that he did is he packed the courts. And so while normally, particularly for black um, black voting rights in this country, we have, particularly those of in the South, our relief has come from the judicial branch. That's where mm-hmm. we have looked at. But in the, in the last four years, Trump has been adamant and has been very laser-focused, he and the Republicans, about packing the courts with judges that would align themselves with their interests. So now you're seeing a Supreme Court hearing around a bill, around Arizona, around a bill around voting rights. And when asked, the, 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 the legislature felt, legislator felt so comfortable in this current political environment that when he was asked by the justice, why did he think that these that this was needed? This was voting restriction. He actually said because we wouldn't have a competitive advantage. He essentially mm. felt comfortable enough to tell a Supreme Court justice, "We are putting a bill in place so that we, as a party, can win." Mm. But if that is it, it, it talks that in itself is a quintessential kind of example of where we are in this country, that there are people in this country that are shameless. What Trump has done is he's opened up Pandora's box and, and, and literally created this environment that says what, that right is right, that whatever we've got to create, whatever we no respect for the Constitution, no respect for the laws of this country, and give me a break, absolutely no respect for law and order, right, but that fundamentally that whatever it takes, Right, for them to actually have an advantage, they're willing to do that with a lack of integrity and no accountability. Wow. Um, it, and it's interesting. Uh, we have uh, three years to really um, amp up uh, more support. Uh, do you see anything or any benefit in actually uh, getting a teaching tool out to juniors and seniors in the high school area in terms of civics and why they should vote. Because I remember going to college campuses and helping to register people to vote these last uh, couple years. So that's what I do at the show. But a lot of them didn't see the importance of just learning about voting, learning about civics, learning that their voices and their vote matters. Do you think that there's something that could be put in play so at least people know the importance of not only the Voting Rights Act, but what it took to get there and why we are where we're at right now. 
Absolutely. I mean, there's always what we learn from those who've been doing this work for centuries, the people who laid the foundation. There have been three big pieces around. There are about three, there are three big pieces of the work um, that are, I would put them in three buckets. There is voter education. There was always an education component. People look at and, and read and the history of people like Ella Baker, um, mm-hmm. who was right. sick who literally believed in these education schools, um, that she literally, that in order, the way that we could actually strengthen democracy, that people needed, we need to have civic schools, that we need to educate people on, one, the process, but also understand and recognize their power, their participation, how it makes a difference and how it shapes policy. And so I certainly believe there's a disconnect from people, and I think that's been intentional. I think there's been an intention by those who are in political office because they don't want to be held accountable to literally just kind of operate as people are like like people are a proxy that people essentially just go just go vote and elect us in and then like don't worry about it we got it from there right and so because of that what we're seeing is kind of this flip in power mm-hmm. you have instead of <laughs> instead of uh, we've got legislators telling us who can vote I think about that. No, the legislators are supposed to be in office to vote how we tell them to vote. And so right. they're, they're now deciding who has the right to vote or not. And so I think that we have to really be able to flip that thing on its head. And I think one of the ways to do that is that when you have an, an educated um, citizenry, that you always have a robust democracy. When you look at other developed, when you look at high-performing countries around the world that have a thriving democracy, one of the elements you see is you see they usually have a robust civic education program that's integrated throughout their schools that is a part of the culture, right? In some countries, they're compulsory um, voting, right? And people don't take it as it, uh, it is a part of the culture, it's a part of the values, a part of what they see as their responsibility and literally having a stable um, supporting a stable nation. And so, one, I think that we need the education. The second thing is I think we have to have the registration, that we have the registration along with the education, that we also have to have these on ramps to get people engaged in this process. And then the third bucket is mobilization. And mobilization doesn't happen just around elections. It shouldn't just be let's round up the votes now because we need it. It has to be an ongoing engagement with people that they really understand their agents, they have agency, and they really understand how policy is made. What I realize in talking to people as we're doing work on the ground, a lot of people don't know. Like, what, mm-hmm. what does a Supreme Court justice do? Like, what does a circuit court, what, is a, uh, what, does a, what exactly does a DA do? And when we've been educating and talking to people about those different positions and what kind of power and what kind of decision-making power they have, Nine times out of ten, people actually are more engaged in it, they're more vested in it because they have a better understanding. So I think the first key, as you're saying, you know, uh, is really around starting and not, and starting young, young as possible. I think there should be a civic engagement component to the education system actually from grade school on up. You know, we have a program that we launched called Vote for Me. And there's a vote for me until I can campaign where we actually are talking to students and young people 
kids in, in first, second, third grade of the importance of voting, that what is a democracy, why is it, and, and, it, and it's, it's, it's so interesting of how brilliant young people are um, and, tru- and how children are. You know, there's a, my grandmother would talk about the Bible verse of the children will leave. It makes so much sense to them. Like if you get in a class and you're asking, like, oh, I understand that everybody should have the right that they can vote so that they, we can make a decision about what we want to do. That's basically what it is. All it is, if, if they're, they're kids still in a sense, even themselves, they want to participate, having the opportunity to make a decision based on what the group wants to do, they, uh, that makes sense. And so I think that we have to really be able to use this process to educate folks, not just so that we can win an election for a particular party, but because people can really tap and have a sense of their own power, because, because as citizens become more educated and more engaged, we're going to stop seeing some of the foolishness that we're seeing now. That's right. 100%. Let us know your um, uh, website and how we can get involved. So people can actually um, my work, follow my work, our organization. Um, we're on all the social media platforms. My personal um, uh, way they can kind of follow some of the things that we're doing is Ms. Latasha Brown, M-S-L-A-T-O-S-H-A Brown, um, and also Black Voters Matter. We go to our website, Black Voters Matter Fund, F-U-N-D dot O-R-G. Follow us on all of our social media platforms. Um, we're, we're at, they can keep track of what we're doing, some of the actions, some of the organizations we're working, and how they can get involved. Black Voters MTR. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and we're very active because we want to show people that we're accountable, and we want to show people that this is a movement. This isn't a moment. That fundamentally what it's going to take, and instead of us kind of keep going back and forth like this is a tennis match, that we're going to have to create some sweeping, audacious, bold moves where we're actually expanding access, permanent access in this country, um, that we're actually holding people accountable. And we have got to get to the point that those that actually seek to undermine the right to vote, that we've got to make examples of them. We've got to take them out of office. Right? We've got to hold them accountable. And, we've got to have, and the third thing is we need more uh, reflective representation. So I'm hoping that there are some young women of color uh, that are listening to this out there, that are in underrepresented communities, that are listening out there, that represents different sectors from the LGBTQ to the um, Asian Americans. I hope that they're listening. We need more quality representation of people who actually have a sense of a responsibility and accountability to communities. And so I am also hoping that there's a new crop of folks who will seek office and actually challenge these folks that are in, in public office so that we can actually have a more reflective and more inclusive um, democracy. That sounds beautiful. Thanks so much for being with us. I really appreciate you actually talking about the importance and especially expanding the educational system to include our youth. I think that that will make a major difference, uh, not only now, but going into the future. Yes, absolutely. So what I... I, I think we we know what to do. We just got to commit to doing it. I think in some ways over the years we've kind of gotten complacent. And this notion that democracy is already here. Democracy is not um, – you have to literally – the act of democracy is people participating. 
a robust democracy it actually is a determinant of that is the engagement of people. And so I think it's really important for all of us to know that if we want to strengthen and maintain um, uh, maintain the democratic system we have, but actually strengthen it so that it can evolve to truly be, become a democracy, it is going to require all of us stepping up. It's going to require all of us giving a little more. It's going to, call all of, it's going to require all of us literally shifting this political landscape so we can continue to go to the, we can continue to go forward. Amen. Thanks so much, Latasha. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.